This is episode 6-5 of Free as in Freedom. I'm Karen Sandler. And I'm Bradley Kuhn. This is Free as in Freedom. So we're going to talk about the community bridge to nowhere this week, Karen. I don't love that that's what you called it. I got to be honest with you. Well, it's not clear where it's taking us. uh, So that's uh, why I chose that phrase. So um, what we're talking about is um, the Linux Foundation launched a a new platform that they are calling Community Bridge, um, and uh, it's- yeah, let's just we'll, we'll read their definition first to to give them okay, uh, great. give them time. So so their website says Community Bridge is a uh, you know all one word uh, studly caps is a platform created by the Linux Foundation to empower developers and the individuals and organizations who support them to advance sustainability, security, and diversity in open source technology. Community Bridge has a place for everyone in open source. And then it has a list of people, donors, mentees, mentors, and employees, and then various different tutorials about how each of those classes of users would use this uh, proprietary software system. So it's basically a way for, um, for communities to use this platform to receive funds and to uh, do a number of other things, right? Yeah, it seems to be the case. Uh, now, the, the interesting thing about it is that uh, you can't actually use it yet. The only way to sign up for it is through a general contact form, uh, and it's apparently in beta. But uh, the, the, we, we, Karen and I have read through a great uh, level of detail of basically everything available on the site, and there's a large FAQ as well as, uh, as I mentioned, tutorials for each of these classes of people. Uh, but the first thing I discover, because, of course, it's the, always the first thing that I look for, is anytime I interact with a piece of software, the first thing I want to know is, what is its license? And this actually has a proprietary license. So in the terms and conditions, when you agree to it and sign up, you agree to a proprietary software license, uh, and they have made no uh, mention of whether this code is uh, going to be released. It certainly wasn't developed in public. It was developed in secret. Uh, that much is obvious. And they have no timeline for releasing the source code, even a throw it over the wall kind of thing. Uh, so it's a proprietary software platform to do this. So I want to take a, a step back from this issue and just say that... Uh, I think there's a real need for more resources in this area. So, um, like, I, I want to start out with something positive, which is just that, you know, I would be very excited to see more resources. Um, as many of you know, Software Freedom Conservancy is a fiscal sponsorship organization. Um, so uh, we are very aware of how much work all of this, this these kinds of services are. And there is so much of a need in free software that more players are very, very welcome. I, you know, when, as we've seen more people come into the space um, over, I'd say the, even the last decade. I know it's a long time to mm-hmm. look back, but I think that's sort of the perspective we have right now. Um, I, I, I'm thrilled every time somebody new comes in because there's so much work we certainly can't do at all, and the other orgs that are also. Um, 
that have been in our space can't do all of that work either. And so my general view is let a thousand roses bloom. You know, we really can't have enough resources being put to these problems. And so, um, you know, I want to just be really clear about that because um, when I see these kinds of things happen, my reaction is, yay! Right. And and I think, I, I, yeah, I, I felt that we had to lead with it being proprietary software simply because uh, I, I uh, so, so I was remembering my days uh, going to Usenix conferences before there were any other conferences in open source and free software at all. Uh, Usenix, which is a, primarily an academic publishing conference, used to run a thing called the Freenix track. And I would go to these talks on the Freenix track and listen to the whole talk only to find out at the end of it, the software they were presenting was proprietary. So I've felt ever since those days, that was in the mid 1990s when I was in graduate school. I feel like you got to lead with, if it's proprietary, lead with the fact that it's proprietary. You got to tell people what the license is up front. So I did want to lead with that and that's why I did. But other than that, I agree with you, Karen. I, I think that when we start, just as an example, when we started uh, Software Freedom Conservancy, uh, Karen actually did a tremendous amount of research uh, before starting Conservancy and reached out to every organization in open source and free software that was doing anything like this. And when we looked around, there there were a few defunct organizations that were attempting to do this. There was the Apache Software Foundation, which has always done a form of fiscal sponsorship, but they would not let individual projects have their own money. All the money went generally to Apache and then organizations within Apache, projects within Apache would apply for that funding from the Apache Software Foundation. So that didn't fit the model of fiscal sponsorship that most projects at the time were asking us about. And then we also saw software in the public interest, which in fact did have the same kind of fiscal sponsorship. And I remember Karen had some discussions with software in the public interest, letting them know that we were going to start uh, Software Freedom Conservancy. It was going to be incorporated. Mm-hmm. It was going to be a fiscal sponsor. But that was it. In 2006, when Conservancy was founded, uh, there were there was basically a line of projects out the door that wanted fiscal sponsorship, which is why Conservancy was, was formed. And so uh, from that point of view, it was a really necessary thing in those days. And I don't think it's gotten less necessary to set up organizations that can fund projects in various different ways. Uh, But there's a much different uh, community now. I mean, there's a full community of organizations that are providing these services that collaborate and talk together and coordinate, which, which, of course, we at Software Freedom Conservancy have been involved with. Yeah, and some more than others, I would say for sure. But uh, but we've always found felt like very strongly that it's conservancy's job, in part, to help those other organizations do their work more effectively. Um, I'm proud that um, to, and I don't know if many of our listeners know this, but conservancy has helped multiple organizations become fiscal sponsors. So we've we share our template agreements, we share our knowledge, we share um, information about. The, the mistakes we've made so that new organizations can learn from them. Um, and we've done that with, I, I'd say, right. I'm trying to think, I didn't plan well, this, but I would say at least a half dozen organizations, right. probably so, so, more. So on the C3 side, we've uh, helped Free Software Foundation Institute Fiscal mm-hmm. Sponsorship, which did, was not doing it when Conservancy was founded, and now Free Good Software Foundation. Foundation. And then Gnome, we helped Gnome Foundation, so that's the second C3 we assisted. Um, we've mm-hmm. I, I would count SPI, even though SPI predates Conservancy, uh, we've done a lot to help SPI. Uh, they did give us a, a, a small grant at one point to help with accounting stuff, which we did. Um, and oh, and they really helped us. us. Yeah, and they helped us get started because we we started from their paperwork too. Mm-hmm. So 
We and, we we helped a lot. By, we were helped a right. lot by Spy, and so we're 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 directly in coordination with software in the public interest. Actually, one of our board members, uh, Martin Micklemeyer, is both on Conservancy's board and is, I think, president currently of SPI. So we've always been well coordinated with SPI uh, in lots of ways. And back when Bedell was president of SPI, Bedell Garby, who's now on Conservancy's board, was also <laughs> president of SPI uh, previously as well. So we've always been heavily coordinated with them. Uh, we've coordinated uh, like uh, Python Software Foundation. They actually have some folks there who are very knowledgeable about nonprofits. Um, but we've coordinated with them on fiscal sponsorship as well. I, I mean, they, they had they had a lot of knowledge themselves. We actually learned a, yeah, a few but, interesting things but we from helped them. them. We helped them ramp up. We gave all of our documents to them. Yep. Um, NumFocus. Yeah, that's right. I forgot about NumFocus. Yeah, NumFocus was a, mm-hmm. uh, a, a numerical Python uh, or numerical software focused, uh, hence the name, uh, fiscal sponsor. that They sponsor a lot of different projects in the more academic and numerical uh, computational uh, space. And so we helped them when they first got started and had a lot of calls. So there's five right there of just the C3s. Uh, and we've coordinated with other... I can other, think of yeah. three more off, off the top of my head where we've provided our, all of our, do- their, our templates, like our contractor templates and, mm-hmm. um, and other kinds of C3 type stuff. I don't want to name them because they had some problems and I don't want to... <laughs> <laughs> well, and there's also the non the non uh, 501c3. So so most of our listeners know there's this thing in the U.S. called 501c3 charities. That's a, a charitable nonprofit by U.S. law. It's required uh, to operate in the public good and in the public interest uh, and do everything to help the general public, not any specific uh, constituency or any specific group. Uh, whereas uh, there's the 501c6 world, and there are also fiscal sponsors there. Like, obviously, Linux Foundation, whom we're talking about, is basically a fiscal sponsor. Um, Eclipse Foundation, uh, while we've never coordinated any sort of detail with them, they're engaged in various types of fiscal sponsorship for the projects that they work with uh, and, and various other projects that they've had over the years. Uh, I remember when uh, when the Jenkins Project associated with the Eclipse Foundation, although not associated with Eclipse anymore, associated with Linux Foundation now, um, but uh, other d- projects like that. Um, no, I'm sorry. It was a fork of the Jenkins Project. That, right. That's Jenkins Project associated with SPI and then a fork of Jenkins associated with Eclipse. So I mean, even with like when somebody forks, there's multiple places that uh, that projects can go uh, to talk to. And if you obviously you're not going to be in the same fiscal sponsor as your fork most of the time. So then there's somewhere else you can go. So all of that's been happening for the last uh, 10 or 15 years. Um, so and then so- there are organizations that are not are not C6s either, like Open Collective, which is a. Um, just a, uh, I think it's just for profit. I don't think it's a, a, a C6. Um, right. They are C. You have a C6 and a C3 affiliated with them, but the main platform is neither. Right. Um, but um, you know, and we've been talking to them and trying to figure out ways we can work together with them. Right. Um, and my, my first we, criticism. There's a need in, in each of these, like in each of these niches that we have. We have so many free and open source software projects in each of these niches. There are there's plenty of work for each of these organizations. We will never run out of work. And there's another. I, I didn't even get to the European ones. There's uh, Tech Cultivation mm. or the Center for Technology Cultivation. I think it's called. Uh, in uh, in Europe that uh, started up and they're developing a lot of technology all open source and free software to run the project I always sort of assumed they would they would develop something really useful that we would use and we've monitored what they've been doing um, and there hasn't been anything yet that we could reuse um, open collective which Karen mentioned which is a for-profit LLC uh, but seeks to do the same kind of small small fundraising right so open collective is really geared towards projects that just want to raise a small amount of money every year. Um, and spend it. Uh, they don't have any need for a charity, probably because they're raising four or five thousand dollars a year. It's just not that much. 
Uh, yeah, or, and, or they're not charitable. Right, or they're not charitable. Yeah. Uh, but mm-hmm. uh, they're really built for that small amount of money and putting a little button on your website. Uh, and my biggest criticism of them when they started was I said, you need to make sure it's all open source and free software, which you've done. And they've worked towards that. I don't think they're all the way there yet, but they've released a lot of their code. Um, and I think, they're, as I understand it, they're committed to releasing more and doing more stuff uh, fully as free software. Uh, so so it's, it's really kind of a strange thing. I mean, it's always a strange thing. I, I have the same criticism of SourceForge back when SourceForge started or went proprietary in the early 2000s. I have the same criticisms of GitHub uh, for being proprietary software for code hosting. Uh, it's interesting to note that GitHub is, in, is affiliated with this new program called Community Bridge. Um, and any program that seeks to create proprietary software to serve open source developers is immediately suspect in my point of view. It's, it's immediately operating against the principles that our community is built around. Yeah, I mean, but taking getting back to that slightly higher level that I, I wanted to start out with, it's that it's so fundamentally disappointing because as I said, there is so much work to be done. There's so much work that we all have to do. And we have all of these orgs that are serving different niches that are working hard, um, and and I would, again, welcome new initiatives because we need them. But what's so frustrating about about proprietary software is that we can't then just use that use that those solutions to help ourselves and our member projects and all of those other fiscal sponsors. So many of us in the you know, most of the orgs that we've talked about have been actively trying to find ways to work together to improve the problem for everyone. This is the way that free and open source software is. This is why we're so strong. This is why free software is uh, is so impressive. But in, you know, when we can't work together, when somebody comes in with proprietary software, it's incredibly frustrating because it means that that is just simply not helping anybody else. It's not collaborative at all. It's not within the spirit. And it's so disappointing because we are spending so much time trying to solve these problems. And if someone else already has a way to solve these problems, then let's all move to it immediately. Well, that's what's so, it was so interesting to me about what you were just saying, Karen, is it sounds like the material you would use for a podcast to introduce people to open source and free software. Nothing you said just now was specific to fiscal sponsorship software in any way. It was the Mm -hmm. classic arguments that we've made in the FOSS community about why software freedom is so important to advance technology. And not even just software freedom, but just the the traditional open source arguments of, oh, it makes the development work better. It means the general problems that everyone has are solved. And I, I, I truly am baffled that our community does not see this as a hypocritical act by the Linux Foundation, who claims to support the idea of open technology and sharing their software. And uh, I've, I've seen Jim Zemla get up and say, open source is the default for everything now, but not if you're at the Linux Foundation. If you're at the Linux Foundation, the default is the software you write will be proprietary. And I, I just, I don't understand why everyone's just accepted this as, oh, it's all okay. It's no problem. That our, uh, well, it seems to be the case. I don't know. I mean, I think it's still early days. I don't know that we've really seen people adopting it or not adopting it. We've certainly seen a lot of criticism. Um, well, only from uh, us, I'm, primarily. I, I haven't no, seen a lot. No, no. There was a, a, a bunch of other criticism, um, hmm. uh, certainly on uh, on uh, social media. Right. And I don't, so, I don't follow social media. Yeah. So. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, I, I think it's tough because it... it 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 fe- it feels so bad because it cuts against the rhetoric of collaboration, um, which has been the cornerstone of of the Linux Foundation, but also you know the 
all of the companies and organizations and individual developers working together. So it cuts against that. It feels particularly painful for us because if we had access to the source code of this platform, it might solve the problems for all of our other orgs are having, maybe. I don't know. We, 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 we'll, we'll be scratching our heads about it for a long time. Well, um, and then... Well, and just, then the you know, and then on top of that, the 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 various incentives that are built into this um, this platform are 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 sort of intended to move away from the the freer versions that are freer versions of the problem solving that has been out there, and so it's frustrating on a, a whole number of levels. Well, I look at this, and I if if you had told me when we were doing the founding documents of Conservancy in two thousand six that someday. Someone will want to be a proprietary software competitor of Software Freedom Conservancy. Someone will want to compete with, and not just Conservancy, but GNOME Foundation, FSF, everybody. Someone will launch a proprietary competitor whose goal is to help raise money for open source and free software projects. I I would never have imagined that someone would launch a proprietary uh, network service uh, to compete with uh, fiscal sponsorship in the FOSS world. I, I just, I, I couldn't have imagined that any, because the fact that, and, and especially as we continued along, because what we learned is, by the way, this work is not lucrative. Like we barely <laughs> keep our organization running. We get just enough money to sort of uh, like limp along. Um, and then a proprietary competitor comes along and offers uh, offers basically zero cost services for the first, you know, what, three million or whatever, and transactions that are going to happen on the platform, some end million. Uh, I actually don't remember the end because it was very high and it was higher. It was like more than Conservancy's budget for like three years. I was like, wow, that's pretty, pretty high. <laughs> um, that they're 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 only and they're only going to charge five percent after that point, uh, where which is what SPI charges for almost no services, uh, very limited services, and we we charge ten percent because we have more services we give to our projects. So it's it's very weird to think about. And, and and this is the classic thing. I actually want to do an episode at some later date uh, about the, the the business model question because I have some new things I want to say about the whole business model question about open source and free software. But my fundamental point is is that because you can do proprietary software, it's always kind of a easier way to compete because you can you have an, you have a competitive advantage that no one else does, and so. By keeping the software proprietary, I'm not denying Linux Foundation has a competitive advantage for fiscal sponsorship by doing proprietary software, just like every other proprietary software company has a competitive advantage. Yeah, I mean, but what's tough about it is that we don't even want to compete in this. If someone could do this and do this well, we would happily let them do it. Like, we don't want to be, I mean, we do this because we think, we do fiscal sponsorship because we know that it's very important Mm. to support the infrastructure around free software. And so we know that this is some of the most critical work that needs to happen for free software to succeed. So we do it. And, you know, what we're doing is very different than what they were doing anyway. So I don't feel like it's a direct competitor to us. It's just tough because it means that some of the, some of the other fiscal sponsors that, um, that, are organized to do work that's similar to what this platform is doing might very well get squeezed out. And that's going to be really tough for us because um, not because of what we're doing specifically. Um, I think what we're doing is significantly different, but because then it makes it a lot harder to work on our problems when we don't have our collaborators anymore. 
Yeah, I think that's right. And and I think actually the, the one under the most threat is obviously Open Collective because they're the for-profit company yeah. in the space trying to do this in the same kind of way. Yeah, And, and for those who don't know, uh, because we're a charity, we do a lot more vetting of transactions. We look very carefully at transactions. We, we sometimes, and some of our developers know this, that they've been denied expenses uh, because the expenses did not fit our charitable mission. And we've had to do that. It's very painful to have to do that, but we've had to do that if... if expense we weren't told about was coming and it doesn't fit our charitable mission we sometimes have to say we can't do that transaction through the through the conservancy because the conservancy is a charity um so so there's certainly room for other types of fiscal sponsors in the 501c6 world in the for-profit world obviously in the for-profit world um, i mean sad but true in the united states for-profits can get away with anything they want and there's almost no oversight so um so if you don't want oversight that's the kind of thing you need and some projects don't want that kind of oversight and they don't want to be part of a charity or they're not even operating a charitable way so all of these different models are important and having for-profit, C3, C6, all different forms of fiscal sponsorship. There's, I mean, there's even C, people have started C4s to do types of fiscal sponsorship around in the FOSS community. So we need all of that. And if we're going to need all of that, just like any other project, we have to collaborate over open code and free software code and have software freedom. So, um, so that's, that's the biggest point. And I think if folks wanted to turn off right now uh, and say, have heard the main point of what we're concerned about with Community Bridges, because it's proprietary software. But Karen, I don't think that's the only problem we've discovered, right? No, we're going to talk about um, in more in depth the other things that we've uh, we discovered when we looked at it, maybe after this short musical interlude. So, Karen, hopefully uh, folks are still listening. They've heard the big takeaway now, so they didn't really need to lead into the next segment because we're going to talk about all the other issues about Community Bridge other than proprietary software, which is the big one. Yeah, I mean, that is the big one. And we know probably somebody from Linux Foundation was tasked with listening to this whole thing. And if so, and if person who works at Linux Foundation, if you're listening to this, Please, 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 please consider releasing the source code to Community Bridge. Please consider doing this in a collaborative fashion. Um, I I can't tell you enough. I I I I'm like getting a little emotional because you could really help everybody in the free software field, and it would be lauded as a huge triumph. And it's not too late. You can absolutely do this. Right. It's it's just so interesting to me. You know, the way that you're the way that you're begging for source code. It feels like the way we beg, uh, you know, proprietary software companies to release source code. But if this if this supposed, I I am I'm, I'm I'm dubious whether we're important enough for somebody from Linux Foundation to be assigned the job to listen to our podcast. Well, we know that they were like reading. IRC logs of oh, our true. channel. That's true. I, I'm sure I, I, yeah. this has been billed as criticism of something that Linux Foundation is doing. And so yeah. it, I'm sure like if it were us, we would definitely be listening to it, even though we're much smaller. So I've got to imagine that someone will listen to it to find out what we had to say. I mean, I don't think we're that important. Just I'm pretty sure that somebody there will listen to this. And thank you for listening so much, Linux Foundation. Thank you so much for listening. Yeah. Well, I think you can't let that uh, that little comment uh, go by because our listeners are going to email us like crazy to ask what you meant by that. So the, the, the oh. incident that Karen is referring to is I 
um, criticized some Linux Foundation policies on Pound Conservancy, which is a free node channel. I, the, the, our listeners know about Pound FAIF, which, of course, the cha- the IRC channel for this show on Freenode, but there's also a Pound Conservancy on Freenode as well for this. Uh, and uh, someone was logging it and emailed it to the Linux Foundation. Uh, and then Karen got an email complaining that I had said things on IRC that was critical of the Linux Foundation. This was very surprising to me. I, I, I'm, I'm amazed that, that, that any organization has time to find all the places on IRC that people are saying critical things about them. I mean, heck, if we tried to find that for Conservancy, I'd spend my whole day doing that, I suspect. Also, as I said, we're not really that important. So it's surprising to me that... <laughs> <laughs> You're laughing. I'm laughing too. Yeah, but it's, anyway, but, but anyway, so, but I think I, 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 mean, I have I think to imagine what, all. I have to imagine all of this is well intentioned. I really do. So, uh, so uh, some of our colleagues have criticized Community Bridge because there's no names associated with it. It was announced by Jim Zemlin, who's the executive director and obviously doesn't handle day to day. Because uh, unlike Conservancy, where there's only four people on staff, which means Karen, as executive director, handles a lot of day to day stuff. Uh, Linux Foundation has hundreds of people working there, and they don't. The executive director doesn't personally handle every initiative that or they do. At, at like a hundred. I don't know if it's hundreds, but it's definitely I, over a hundred. It's not clear uh, because they hire, they subcontract a lot of people. So their actual employees are small, but they have all these huge numbers of full-time subcontractors. It's it's hard for me to figure out um, sort of why this program is launched in this way. Because, because as an example, the example I was going to give, there's nobody who's te- who's sort of tasked as the head of this program. You know, I would feel a lot of discomfort because uh, we, we see this with our fiscal sponsorship work. When, when an organization wants to join Conservancy and SPI is the same thing and, and Gnome Foundation is the same thing, they want to know who the people are that they're going to be working with, they're going to be interacting with as part of the becoming a fiscal sponsor, becoming fiscal sponsored by an organization. And the fact that there's no names associated with this, that there's you know, basically stock footage, stock photos everywhere, and there's nobody's name that says, you know, this person or this team at Linux Foundation are the folks tasked with it. Uh, it, it's, it, it, a lot of people have criticized that as being suspect. And I, I think that, I, I don't think it's suspect. I just think it's, it's weird that there's nobody heading up this initiative. If it's, if it's such an important initiative and millions and millions of, uh, open source dollars are going to be going through this program, I feel like that we should know who the team is that's actually written the software, how they've done it, all that sort of thing. So I think that's a, a, a viable um, criticism. Yeah, I wonder if we should go to the next point of, you know, that we wanted to talk about, which you you touched on already, which is the um, uh, the the fact that the platform is uh, is specifically limited by the trade association status of Linux Foundation. Right. So, I, and this is not uncommon to what we'll often see with any fiscal sponsors. So. For example, Software Freedom Conservancy, we're constantly telling people that if they become part of Conservancy, if the project affiliates with us and becomes a member project, they can't do things that don't fit a charitable model. And that's totally reasonable, and that's totally the way it's supposed to work. It's similar with the Linux Foundation in that they are a C6 trade association, and they've formally put that into the terms. So the terms of service of Community Bridge say that you are always subject to the common business interest of the companies that are the members of Linux Foundation. Totally reasonable for them to put that in there because they're a 
501c6 that's required to do that sort of thing. So it's no problem to leave that in there. Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, it's in there with the under unauthorized activities. So it's right after you can't use the platform or services in any way that violates any laws. Um, and then it's that you can't use it in any way that could conflict with the Linux Foundation's nonprofit 501c6 status. Um, it's sandwiched between that and you can't use it to stalk, harass, or harm another individual. Um, so it's 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 pretty fascinating. Obviously, it's important that an entity respect the um, the rules around its formation. Mm -hmm. um, so I'm glad that they highlight it in that way. Uh, but I think that that the impact of that is very unclear. Unlike with a charity, we know what that could mean. Um, you know, we have a charitable mission of uh, supporting, promoting, and defending free and open source software. So it's you can you can sort of make that conclusion. Whereas the Linux Foundation, it has a common business interest of its member constituency. Um, now, in some ways, that's really good, and that will protect um, folks using the platform because it means that the platform can't be used to promote any one business, for example. Um, so there is some degree of protection um, being, you know, in in using that. But you have to also pause for a minute and and sort of, you know, that analysis will be done with the lens of of the current Linux Foundation member company. Right. And, and that's and that's the issue with the trade association is its makeup can change over time. As we know from if you read the Linux Foundation bylaws, uh, you can buy a board seat. Uh, if you become a platinum member, you automatically get a board seat right away. And we've seen the makeup of the Linux Foundation board change over time. We've seen the, the common business interest that Linux Foundation pursues change over time. Uh, from from they were they were actually very pro copy left at one point. Now they're anti copy left. You know those kinds of things have changed over time based on the makeup of what their businesses want to pursue, and, and so and so that's an issue that projects are going to have to face. Uh, I would be worried, for example, for any copy left project to sign up for this program because if the uh, if the the common business interest is that they don't want it copy lefted because they want to make proprietary software out of it. That's a common business interest that the Linux Foundation members might hold. And they might insist that it not be copy lefted and say that it's not in your business interest and in our common business interest for you to continue to help fund this copy lefted thing that we'd all like to use in our proprietary software. So I, I, I think that right off the bat, uh, you wouldn't want to put anything that's not that's copy lefted into this particular program, knowing that that could happen at any time. Uh, because we do have examples, for example, the RGPilot uh, drone code situation where uh, a Linux Foundation project decided, and I'll link to the show notes for the background on that, uh, that decided that they didn't want the copylefted code involved and they didn't want the copylefted project involved in in the in the drone code project anymore. So they pushed it aside and pushed it out. And so and so we know that that kind of thing can happen. Uh, and it's also, I think, Karen interacts poorly with the governance question, because that's something we've struggled with and worked very hard at Conservancy, which again, you know, and like, as Karen said, if there's a Linux Foundation person listening, we'd love to talk to you about the challenges we've seen with making sure the governance is right uh, with regard to that, uh, with regard to how it interacts with the various other terms of a fiscal sponsorship agreement. Yeah, for sure. So um, so the way that this works is that uh, basically anyone, it seems like anyone can sign up on behalf of a community um, and, uh, and there's, there's not really any process for determining whether or not it's the right person or, uh, and certainly it explicitly has no way 
that multiple people can sign up. It's only one person that can sign up per pro- per project, um, and that's something that per, we've seen. One person per, per there pro- has to be an individual yeah, 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 per, for the as project. Representative. Just, just to lay it out for everybody, there has to be an individual for the yeah. project. They sign up for the account on the Community Bridge platform, and then they are the sole decider with regard to all funding, how all funding gets spent, any money that's raised, they're the sole person that will decide, which is a simple model, right? You know where you know where the buck stops. That's the upside to it, but there's a lot of downsides. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I and they're not the only ones to do it this way. There are other um, other entities that have that are set up for this to be the case. Um, we've seen that we've seen this fail, um, as Bradley says. We've seen this fail for for early days in conservancy member projects before we learn from our mistakes. But we've also seen it happen where folks that have participated in platforms where there wasn't much thought to governance before money starts flowing in and flowing out um, and being used for things that are important. This kind of has a very high potential of breaking down and causing real tension within the project. So part of what we do with Conservancy is when member projects come in, it's one of the most important parts of the discussion is to figure out how to make sure that the project has the right governance for that, you know, for that community. And, you know, when you skip that process, you basically you think you might be kicking the can down the road or that these problems might not arise. But in fact, what happens is it massively inflates these problems. Whenever there's money on the line, people become. Well, it changes, changes people's um, behavior. It, money changes people's behavior. There's no question people, about yeah, that. And, and sure. we did sign uh, in Conservancy's history some of our earliest fiscal sponsorship agreements. We signed um, fiscal sponsorship agreements with uh, in single individuals, uh, as opposed to a committee of people or a group of people that were elected by the committers or something like that, which is what we tend to do. The latter, uh, those various different ladder models now. Uh, but at the time we founded Conservancy, we thought, oh well, benevolent dictator for life is a standard model for project governance. And we basically discovered as a community, in my view, I, as people disagreed with me about this on LWN, when our, uh, where our blog post about this went on LWN, at least while well, one person did. But generally, I think the benevolent dictator for life model has been discredited. It really doesn't work long term for project governance. And even projects uh, like Linux, which classically had that model, they don't really use that model anymore for decision making. They might for final code editing, there might be a final code editor, which is what Linus uh, in the Linux project does. But the whole governance of the project and how other things happen in the project are not decided by one person. And we generally uh, will not let a project that's a benevolent dictator for life project join conservancy, A, because we were worried about issues with uh, a charitable status, but B, in any type of status you might have, even if it's a for-profit situation, when there's one person who will decide anything with no oversight whatsoever, it's very, very dangerous. And as Karen says, once money's involved, it becomes even more difficult. Yeah, and I don't think that necessarily Community Bridge is saying that they recommend a single, you know, a BDFL uh model of governance. I think they're saying that only one person will interact, but that's not quite enough when there's no governance ensuring that that person is the right person. So it effectively winds up being the same thing, even though I don't think that's necessarily what's contemplated. It's just in in the end, if you don't have a real discussion about governance before you start taking money, you're still vulnerable to these problems. Right, and I can't help thinking about the drone code situation where you had Andrew Tridgell, who was working on the RG Pilot software. If drone code had been set up in Community Bridge, it's likely Andrew Tridgell would not have been that person. Uh, and all might have been going well. They might even have been funding Tridge to work on RG Pilot for a while. And then suddenly those companies decide, wait, we don't 
like the GPLv3 stuff anymore that's in RGPilot. We don't want drone code to be using that. And and money that might have been raised, for example, if, if Treach had raised money, went out and encouraged people to donate so that they could fund RGPilot, that money would just go to drone code. And the person who decided it, if they were a, primarily a drone code person and were supported the decision to kick RGPilot out, that money would just be routed to other things, even if donors had given it. And that would still fit the common business interest of the companies. And so it's real. I think the way these clauses interact um, is really problematic. And, and I find I find that something that projects should be concerned about. Now, it might not be a concern for your project. Uh, frankly, if, if this is the model that you want, Open Collective is already available doing this basic model. Um, so it, it might be the best option for you anyway, if that's what you're after. Uh, but it's not clear to me. But regardless, I would say you may not want that. You may not think you want that now. But the but the main thing is, is that if you don't deal with these problems now, you will likely deal with them later. They're much easier to deal with now. So regardless of whether you're going with a with a, an entity like Conservancy that, you know, facilitates your having those conversations, you should be doing that regardless, um, even if you find it easier to go with an entity that wouldn't. So I think that covers our, our major complaints about uh, the Community Bridge uh, platform. So so why don't why don't we uh, take a, a short break, Karen, and then we'll sort of talk through and summarize uh, the whole situation and uh, and and see see where we go from there. That sounds good. So. We didn't really talk. There's a, an additional component to um, Community Bridge. Actually, there are a couple of different components to it. It's a very ambitious platform. Um, there's a security component and a diversity component. Yeah, so, and so and so, yeah. I, I think the weird thing is that uh, I, I mean, we we certainly uh, do a diversity program at Conservancy Outreachy, um, which is uh, which is not necessarily part of fiscal sponsor. We're a fiscal sponsor for Outreachy, uh, but it's not like we heavily integrate with our projects. Many of our projects choose to participate in Outreachy, and they transfer some of their funds to sponsor interns and in Outreachy and so forth. But I, it's not clear to me whether it makes sense to create a one-stop shop for all things you might want to do in open source. Oh, hey, well, from where I'm standing, we need to do so much work for diversity inclusion that if we can add more, more fellowships, more opportunities, more inclusion, this is fantastic. More should be done. But I agree with you. There actually isn't a lot of detail in particular about how it's all going to work out. Um, You know, I read everything closely and I I do think there's a plan, but uh, but it's tough to know how it will shake out in the end. Yeah, it's why. And and this is a classic thing where where it's just uh, one of the things that we've done with Conservancy, I think a lot of orgs do this, is work really hard to make their own governance very transparent, their own planning very transparent. It's it's interesting to me that people are constantly surprised about stuff Conservancy does because we talk about what we're going to do ahead of time. We usually we're putting into our talks what we're thinking about doing and planning doing in years to come. Uh, and then we do it. And we do the same thing on this podcast where we're talking about things we're thinking about doing. Uh, in this case, it, it's all kind of announced, but it's really vague on the details. Same thing's true on the security thing. There's a security component to Community Bridge that's going to solve your security problems with your FOSS projects, but it's not clear how that's going to work either. Yeah, but I mean, I'm as I as I said before, like awesome. Like 
we could really use more resources in these areas. Uh, but again, because it's proprietary software, it um, the there's a limit to how helpful it can be, um, even in the best case scenario. So I, right. I find that to be super frustrating. Um, and, you know, we'll just have to wait and see how everything comes together. Right. And, and, and so many security researchers have talked about how making stuff uh, FOSS improves its security, being able to audit publicly. So we can't even know if the platform itself is secure because no one's audited the code in the public. So it's, again, this this weird thing where all the stuff that we supposedly learned about FOSS apparently doesn't apply for this program. Is I mean, that's what I'm getting, really, from the whole proprietary software thing. Yeah, I think we're scratching our heads, so we'll we'll see what the Linux Foundation does with this. Um, hopefully, they'll release their source code, and uh, and they'll do a bunch of other things to release more information about it. And uh, yeah, and yeah. it'll be a great addition to our community and all the resources we so desperately need. Yeah, and uh, and if the person from Linux Foundation is still listening by now, and uh, the third segment in, uh, thank you for getting to the end. <laughs> thank you for getting towards the end. But uh, uh, but one of the things that I think would be great is if uh, Linux Foundation actually engaged. There's communities talking about this. There's collaborations. There's the Floss Foundation's email list, which is kind of a reasonable first place to start. You could post your plans of what you're going to do on that and talk about it with other nonprofit orgs. Uh, and there's plenty of other places where. Um, where you can interact uh, with uh, with uh, how 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 stuff's going, and so I really encourage uh, anyone working on these kinds of platforms to talk to the organizations. That's what we did when Conservancy got started. Anytime you're planning a new initiative of any kind, talk with the folks doing similar initiatives and try and build a collaborative thing. I mean, that's the sort of obvious uh, software freedom principle, but it sounds like uh, it sounds like we need some education about that. So I'll put that out there. Yeah, and we're going to continue to keep all of our resources as public as we can and publish our template documents. And if yeah. uh, you are thinking of something new, uh, do not hesitate to contact us and ask us for any more information. Yeah, and I should note that we have on uh, our Calathea instance, which is k.sfconservancy.org, we have a bunch of the stuff that we've written to automate fiscal sponsorship. not It's not as automated as we would like at the moment, um, but we've got what we've done out there and we're always uh, working on more automation stuff to make it easier for us and we've released it. Um, I guess I guess I should mention we, we recently had a student group uh, put together a thing called Reimbursinator, which is designed to do reimbursements. That code's already public. They used GitHub because they're, they're students and, you know, et cetera. Mm -hmm. So anyway, that's on our GitHub page that they transferred the project to us when they finished it and we're going to be deploying that soon. So that's another example example of where we wrote completely free software developed in the open uh, under a fair GPL uh, to handle a problem we saw, which was handling reimbursement requests, which is one of the things that the Community Bridge platform is trying to solve, is make uh, reimbursement of expenses easier. Uh, and so we believe that code should be free. And we we, uh, we we certainly develop in public and release our stuff publicly when uh, when we're working on that kind of thing. So, uh, so Karen, maybe we should take one last short break and then we'll talk about what's coming up on the next episode. I really do love the music. So, Karen, what do we have coming up on the next episode of Free is in Freedom? I would tell you, but I can't. 
Why can't you tell me? Wait, we, we, we're doing this thing now where we're telling people what's coming up next. We didn't used to do this. Now we're doing it. So you need to tell people what's happening. So they I listen know. Well, to the so next show. The, the thing we're going to talk about next is, uh, is something that has not gone public yet, but will go public by the time of our next show. Oh, well, but that's, that's not really a preview. <laughs> do you have anything else you think we, you know what it is so you if you there's something that you think that you can so share. I can't say so so apparently we're covering right. are we are we doing breaking news now why is this breaking news we're doing we're switching now. I mean it's it, it I mean part part of it is breaking it's it's breaking news on something that um, that there has been news out there but I don't want to say what it is because even though there there is there has been some news already I don't want to say what the new news is because it might um uh, in case something changes, I don't. I just don't want to tip our hand. Um, All right. So, so the next episode will actually be somewhat breaking news, sort of. Sort of. That we can't talk about yet. No, but I think it's interesting. <laughs> All right. So, in the next episode, it was a surprise. So, people will be surprised at the topic of the next episode. In and the meantime, what should they do if they're like our show? You should definitely please, please, please support us. Um, uh, by donating to Software Freedom Conservancy, Conservancy which is uh, sfconservancy.org slash supporter. Um, we can only do this because uh, we work at Conservancy. And um, uh, as we said before, the, the money that we take in from fiscal sponsorship it was, really doesn't cover the work that we do. Um, and so you could help us by giving us that stability. Was that enough of a shill? I suppose so. And people can, we, we do have this, uh, I, I mentioned earlier in this episode that I don't do the, the, the social media, but we did create a social media account called Faithcast for the show. It's uh, 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 Foxtrot Alpha Indigo Foxtrot Charlie Alpha Sierra Tango on the Twitters. Um, and, and thanks to everybody who wrote in to, um, to, to give us feedback after the last episode when we asked you to. It was really, really cool to read your emails. Yeah, and it seems like there's consensus on that issue. So that issue we will stay consensus on, I think. No mm-hmm. one no one disagreed with uh, our plans. So that's good. So and, and you can also uh, there's an IRC channel pound FAIF uh, on Freenode if you want to chat. Uh, I'm there most days. I don't always answer, but sometimes do. Karen's there uh, some of the time too. Um, I'm there most days. Okay, most I, of the I, time. Uh, okay, I I, I don't I didn't. But notice. I also often don't miss. I miss some of the conversation there, so I guess so, it's fair. So there's that, and you can write in to augcast at faith.us. It's still an email address that works, and we do read it. Uh, it gets a lot of spam, but uh, but we read it anyway. And obviously, if you're already on one of these proprietary sites that you can review us, you can review us positively. But don't sign up for it if it don't don't agree to a proprietary license just to give us a review. But if you're already agreed to it anyway you should go ahead and leave us a good review if you don't mind if you're inclined to leave reviews all right and we'll uh, talk at you on the next episode of free as in freedom thanks so much for listening free as in freedom is produced by dan lynch of danlynch.org that's d-a-n-l-y-n-c-h dot o-r-g the free as in freedom theme music was written by mike tarantino and is performed by mike tarantino with charlie paxton on drums you can learn more about our work at the software freedom conservancy at the website sfconservancy.org conservancy is a 501c3 charity and is supported by your donations 
An RSS feed for this show is available from faith.us. That's F-A-I-F dot U-S. All episodes of Freeism Freedom are licensed under the Creative Commons Attribution Sharealike 4.0 International License. We